Chapter 2 of Fern's Hollow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew Johnson. Fern's Hollow by Heshpa Stretton. Chapter 2. Stephen stepped over the threshold into a low, dark room which was filled with smoke from a sudden gust of the wind as it swept over the roof of the hut. On one side of the grate, which was made of some half-hoops of iron fastened into the rock, there was a very aged man, childish and blind with years, who was crouching towards the fire and talking and chuckling to himself. A girl, about a year older than Stephen, sat in a rocking-chair and swung to and fro as she knitted away fast and diligently at a thick grey stocking. In the corner nearest to the fireplace there stood a pallet bed hardly raised above the earthen floor, to which Stephen hastily, immediately, with an anxious look at the thin, white face of his father lying upon the pillow. Beside the sick man there lay a little child fast asleep, with her hand clasping one of her father's fingers, and though James Fern was shaking and trembling with a violent fit of coughing from the sudden gust of smoke, he took care not to lose hold of those tiny fingers. "'Poor little Nan,' he whispered to Stephen, as soon as he could speak. "'I've been thinking all day of her and thee, lad, till I'm nigh heartbroken.' "'Do you feel worse for wear, father?' asked Stephen anxiously. "'I'm drawing nearer the end,' answered James Fern. "'Nearer the end every hour, and I don't know for certain what the end will be.' I'm repenting, but I can't undo the mischief I've done. I must leave that behind me. If I'd been anything like a decent father, I should have left you comfortable instead of poor beggars. And what is to become of my poor lass here? See how fast she clips my hand. As if she was afeard I was going to leave her. Oh, Stephen, my lad, what will you do? Father said Stephen in a quiet, firm voice. I'm getting six shillings a week wages, and we, we can live on very little. We haven't got any rent to pay, and only ourselves and grandfather to keep. And, and Martha is as good as a woman grown. We'll manage, father, and take care of little Nan. Stephen and I are not bad, father, added Martha, speaking up proudly. I am not like Black Bess of Botfield. Mother always told me, I was to do my duty, and I always do it. I can wash and sew and iron and bake and knit. Why, often and often we've had no more than Stephen's earnings when you've been to the Red Lion on reckoning nights. Hush, hush, Martha, whispered Stephen. No, it's true, groaned the dying father. God Almighty have mercy on me. Stephen, hearken to me and thee too, Martha what I tell you about this place, and what you are to do when I'm gone. He paused for a minute or two, looking earnestly at the crouching old man in the chimney corner. Grandfather's quite simple, he said, and he's dark too, and doesn't know what any one is saying, but I know they'll be good to him, Stephen. Hearken, children, your poor old grandfather was once in jail, and was sent across the seas for a thief. "'Father!' cried Stephen in a tone of deep distress, and he turned quickly to the old man, 
remembering how often he had sat upon his knees by the winter fire, and how many summer days he had rambled with him over the uplands after the sheep. His grandfather had been far kinder to him than his own father, and his heart swelled with anger as he went and laid his arm round the bending neck of the old man, who looked up in his face and laughed heartily. "'Come back, Stephen, it's true,' gasped James Fern. "'Poor mother and me came here where nobody knew us, and while he was away for more than twenty years, and she built a hut for us to live in till he came back. I was a little lad then, but as soon as I was big enough she made me learn to read and write, that I might send letters to him beyond the seas, and none of the neighbors know. She'd often make me read to her about a poor fellow who had left home and gone off to a far country, and when he came home again how his father saw him a long way off. Well, she was just like that when she'd heard that he had landed in England. She did not but sit over the bent of the hill yonder, peering along the road to Botfield, and one evening at sundown she saw something, little more than a speck upon the turf, and she'd a feeling come over her that it was he, and she fainted for real joy. After all, we weren't much happier than when we were settled down like. Grandfather had learned to tend sheep out yonder, and I worked at Botfield, but we never laid by money to build a brick house as poor mother always wanted us. She died a month or so before I was married to your mother. James Fern sat silent for some minutes, leaning back upon his pillow with his eyes closed and his thoughts gone back to the old times. If I'd only been like mother, you'd have a hill farmer now, Steve, he continued in a tone of regret. She plotted out in her own mind to take in the green before us for rearing young lambs and tucks and goslings. But I was like that poor lad that wasted all his substances and riotous living, and I've let thee and thy sister grow up without even the learning I could have given thee, and the learning that is light carriage. But, lad, remember, this house is thy own, and never part with it, never give it up, for it is thy right. Maybe they'll want to turn thee out, because thee art a boy, but I've lived in it nigh upon forty years, and I've written it all down upon this piece of paper, and that the place is thine, Stephen. I'll never give it up, father said Stephen in his steady voice. Stephen, continued his father, the master has set his heart upon it to make it a hill farm, and thou'lt have to work hard to hold thine own against him. Thou must frame thy words well when he speaks to thee about it, for he is a cunning man. And there's another paper, which the parson at Danesford has in his keeping, to certify that mother built this house and dwelt in it all the days of her life, more than thirty years, if there's any mischief worked against thee, go to him for it. And now, Stephen, wash thyself, and get thy supper, and then let's hear thee read thy paper. Stephen carried his basin of potatoes to the door sill and sat there, with his back turned to the dimsel hut and his dying father, and his face looking out upon the green hills. He had always been a grave and thoughtful boy, and he had much to think of now. The deep sense of new duties and obligations that had come upon him with his father's words made him feel that his boyhood had passed away. He looked round upon the garden and the field and the hut with the keen eye of an owner, and he wondered at the neglected state into which they had fallen since his father's illness. There could be no more playtime for him, no birds nesting among the gorse bushes, no rabbit hunting with Snip, 
the little white terrier that was sharing his supper. If little Nan and his grandfather were to be provided for, he must be a man, with a man's thoughtfulness, doing a man's work. There seemed enough work for him to do in the field and garden alone without his twelve hours' toil in the coal pit, but his weekly wages would now be more necessary than ever. He must get up early and go to bed late, and labor without a moment's rest, doing his utmost from one day to another, with no one to help him or stand for a little while in his place. For a few minutes his brave spirit sank within him, and all the landscape swam before his eyes, while Snip took advantage of his master's inattention and put his nose into the basin and helped himself to the largest share of potatoes. I mean to be like grandmother, said Martha's clear, sharp voice close behind him, and he saw his sister looking eagerly round her. I shall fence the green in and have lambs and sheep to turn out in the hillside, and I'll rear young goslings and ducks for the market. We'll have a brick house with two rooms in it, as well as a shed for the coal, and nobody shall put upon us or touch our rights, Stephen, or they shall have the length of my tongue. Martha, said Stephen earnestly, do you see how a shower is raining down on the master's fields at Botfield? And they've been scorched up for want of water? Well, yes, surely, answered Martha. And what of that? I'm thinking, continued Stephen rather shyly, of that verse in my chapter. He maketh the sun to rise on the evil and good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. What sort of man is the master, Martha? He's a bad, unjust, niggerly old miser, replied Martha. And if God sends him rain, and takes care of him, Stephen said, how much more will he take care of us if we are good and try to do his commandments? I should think, said Martha, but in a softer tone, I should really think he would give us the green and the lambs and, and the new house and everything, for both of us are good, Stephen. I don't know, replied Stephen. If I could read all the Bible, perhaps it would tell us. But now I must go in and read my chapter to Father. Martha went back to her rocking chair and knitting, while Stephen reached down from a shelf an old Bible covered with green bays, and having carefully looked at his hard hands, which were quite clean, he opened it with the greatest reverence. James Fern had only begun to teach the boy to read a few months before, when he felt the first fatal symptoms of his illness, and Stephen, with his few opportunities for learning, had only mastered one chapter, the fifth chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, which his father had chosen for him to begin with. The sick man lay still with closed eyes, but listened attentively to every word, and correcting his son whenever he made any mistake. When it was finished, James Fern read aloud a few verses himself, with a low voice and frequent pauses to regain his strength, and very soon afterwards the whole family were in a deep sleep, except himself. End of chapter 2 Recorded by Matthew Johnson